research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view, this is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and the vice president of the Government Accountability Institute, Eric Eggers. How are you? I'm so well, Peter. How are you? You are so well. Uh, unfortunately, we are doing well while there is a horror being unreleased in Ukraine. Uh, and we're going to talk today about uh, Russia, about Ukraine, and the whitewash that we think is taking place. Now, the way this is being framed is that Vladimir Putin uh, moved into Ukraine and that this Vladimir Putin is different from the previous Vladimir Putin, who got high praise from a number of quarters. Uh, in this first clip, you're going to hear George Bush uh, talking in 2001 about Vladimir Putin and how he looked into his soul. I looked the man in the eye. I found it to be very straightforward and trustworthy. Uh, we had a very good dialogue. I was able to um, get a sense of his soul. The man deeply committed to his country and the best interests of his country. In the next clip, we're going to hear Joe Biden, then a U.S. senator, comparing Vladimir Putin to the great modernizer of Russia, who was Peter the Great. I'm close to amazed by how far Putin seems to have come in making, throwing his lot with the West. I don't think anybody since Peter the Great has made such a significant, at least initial move, to the West. Now, what's interesting about this, Eric, is that, again, a lot of commentators, parts of the Washington establishment are saying this is a Vladimir Putin they don't recognize. He's different. Uh, and uh, he was never quite like this before. Do you believe them? Uh, no, I don't. And by the way, I think it's important that our listeners understand that what you're about to consume is peak Peter Schweitzer, because my man <laughs> has no love greater than his love for exposing all things Russian-U.S. relations. I mean, you, you wrote a master's degree uh, thesis on, on part of the Cold War, correct? Or you, the, the, the Third Revolution in Soviet military affairs. It gets read all the time. All the time. And I remember when I first started working for you, you had like weird <laughs> paraphernalia from Russian military. Yeah. You have to be careful because we're going to talk about different U.S. connected entities and the sanctions that they're being connected to. You may be sanctioned because of your collection of uh, Russian military artifacts. That could be. That could be. I do have quite a few. But to your point about, like, should we be surprised by what uh, this heel turn, to use a wrestling term, that Vladimir Putin seems to be taking? Uh, I would say no, right? Because it's not exactly like an M. Night Shyamalan film with a surprise ending. Like, who could yeah. have seen this coming? Let's see, right. okay, we got, forget about the shirtless pictures on horses with rifles and the killing rhinoceroses. I mean, he's launched wars against his own people. He's invaded other countries before. Uh, he's rigged elections and poisoned or killed political rivals. He threw that one band in jail because they had a bad song or something, yes. right? Yes, yes. We're like, oh, no, no, no. Like, who could have seen this coming? Uh, but it is funny that back in 2001... 
both George W. Bush and Joe Biden seem to have been much more optimistic about the prospects of Vladimir Putin for the Western engagement. He obviously gave them a different sense. I mean, it's almost like a former KGB agent has some skill in being deceptive. (laughs) Yeah, imagine that. Imagine that. Well, we're going to go through the ugly history of the people in Washington, D.C., the political consultants, the advisors, the political candidates uh, that have financial ties to Putin and Putin oligarchs uh, who are now saying they are shocked and horrified of this part of Vladimir Putin. The sad reality is if you go back and understand Putin's history and you're paying any attention to what he was doing, in addition to the overt actions you described invading Georgia, for example, invading Ukraine in 2014, uh, this was and is and remains a nasty piece of work, a nasty human being. Yeah, and don't forget the Chechens too, right? So there's like at least three different military conflicts that he's been engaged in in approximate areas. So this is not unprecedented. Yeah, so I'm going to take this at a very basic level to set the stage for Vladimir Putin. We're going to talk about dogs. Dogs. For just a minute, for dogs. And like not in a Peter Schwartz is trying to be cool in an 80s cultural type of way. Like, what's up? (laughs) No, not like Mitt Romney, like in the band. This is the geopolitical implications of dog ownership. Uh, And there's a great article I would commend everybody to look uh, at in the American Spectator by my good friend, Professor Paul Kengor. Uh, It's called Mad Dog Putin uh, that just came out. Uh, And it's fascinating. Because it describes incidences that that I recall now, but but putting into the context now are fascinating. Uh, And he recounts several stories about how um, uh, American officials will go to Russia to meet with Russian officials. And uh, this was about a summit or a meeting with Putin and how the Russian officials were always poo-pooing the dog that Barack Obama had saying that's a sissy dog. (laughs) That's not a real man dog. (laughs) Same thing with George W. Bush. They're sissy dogs. Yeah, the little terriers. And um, what they would say is now Vladimir Putin has a real dog and he recounts uh, real dogs and he recounts how uh, this American goes uh, into the basement um, of the Kremlin to meet Putin's dog. Like Putin says, come with me. I want to show you something. Yeah, I want to show you and something. And he takes him to the basement. Yeah. And if Putin tells you to do that, you're generally going to do that. Right. He takes him to the basement where his quote unquote pet dogs are these rabid dogs in cages. I mean, he doesn't let the dogs wander around they're in cages and he says tell your american president this is what a real dog looks like so here all this time we thought it was the obama picture in a bicycle helmet that undermined <laughs> our credibility and, and the mom jeans and the mom jeans right <laughs> no it was in fact it was the dog yeah and then of course there's the the classic way in which uh he would terrify angela merkel the german chancellor uh who by the way ended up being pretty pro-russian so maybe this tactic worked but um she in, in her childhood had been attacked by a dog so she was absolutely terrified by even the presence of a dog um, and this happened a couple of times in 2007 and 2014. Merkel goes to see Putin. They're sitting down for the photo op. And what happens? And by the way, the Russians know of her fear of dogs. And what happens? Putin would have a dog, one of his dogs released that would go up and sniff her and wander around her, clearly terrifying her. It was an intimidation factor. And she said, I understand why he has to do this to prove he's a man. He's afraid of his own weakness. Russia has nothing, no successful policies or economy. All they have is this. And yet 
to me, it offers insight into who Vladimir Putin is and who he has always been. Well, it's absolutely true. And a couple key points. Number one, that picture with Merkel, that was in Sochi, which I don't believe is where Putin makes his home typically. So the point is, right. like, he traveled with a dog Correct. just to go let it sniff on the German chancellor. But to your point, um, despite... And she had some very aggressive commentary about Vladimir Putin after that, right? Like, hey, he doesn't have an economy, he doesn't have a strong uh, sense of a political foundation, so all he's got is this sense of masculinity, this fake sense of masculinity. But as you noted, that didn't stop her from enacting some very pro-Russian policies in her tenure, including the adoption and embrace of Nord Stream 2, which has basically been like the jet fuel for Putin's uh, political or global political ascent, right? That's exactly right. And so what's happened is Vladimir Putin... Uh, breaches the territorial lines of Ukraine. He's bombing civilians. He's isolated around the world. And you have all these people, we're going to talk about it today, in Washington, D.C., who were being paid as consultants, as advisors, as lawyers, as lobbyists for these Putin-connected entities. And like rats on a sinking ship, they are abandoning ship. We are today going to talk about those rats. And we're going to go through the, the history. We're going to try to make it brief, but go into detail. The history of how many people were wrong about Putin. Mm-hmm. And they were wrong about Putin, I would argue, because they were getting paid in some way by somebody connected to Putin. And once again, unfortunately, this, we're talking about another topic on which you've written a book. <laughs> because <laughs> That's all we're going to talk about is was, things I've written books Schweitzer, about. Schweitzer knows nothing outside of the things he's written books about. But it's true, right? I mean, it's crazy as I was, we were kind of preparing the research for some of these things. But it, if you were, we're talking about like, how did we get to a place where Vladimir Putin feels so empowered and enabled to be able to pull off this invasion of Ukraine? And I think to your point, people have enabled him along the way, including some of the biggest American political names, not the least of which would be the Clintons. Right, the Clintons. And we'll start there, and and we're going to lead it up to the present time. But remember, uh, when Barack Obama became president of the United States in 2009, uh, of course, Russia had only recently invaded neighboring Georgia. Uh, The Obama administration, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said, it's time for a Russian reset. And fun fact about that, like that's the phrase, but the first politician to actually utter the phrase, and this has been pointed out by our colleague Seamus Bruner, who's written a book about this, the first politician to utter the phrase Russian reset was actually Joe Biden. That's right. That's exactly right. president at the time. So this was a very common idea and theme of why we needed a reset when Russia had invaded a neighboring country. Who knows? They got nothing from Russia in return. But they started all of these initiatives that were part of the reset. And I think the, the most interesting, fascinating is one called Skolkovo, mm-hmm. which a lot of people haven't heard of. But it's this really in retrospect crazy idea and it was a crazy idea at the time and don't take schweitzer's word for it like, <laughs> like, like like american defense officials said it was a crazy idea yeah i mean so here's the idea we're going to take russia and we're going to help russia build their own silicon valley with u.s know-how money and expertise uh and what could go wrong and we're gonna we're gonna locate it in this area called skolkovo outside of moscow you, so you think the rationale for it was the same as it's been for Chinese engagement, like the more we engage with these guys economically, then the more likely we are to bring them into the fold. Yeah, it's it's like, Eric, it's like a hug. If you go and hug somebody, they're going to want to hug you back, right? Unless they're Vladimir Putin or Xi. I feel like we're getting Peter Schweitzer's dating advice right now. But the point, (laughs) but I do think like it's been a bit of a renaissance actually for Thomas Friedman. In fact, I remember watching Hardball when George Bush made that comment about Putin and Thomas Friedman was a guest. He's like, it's like, George Bush is like the Manchurian candidate or something. But, you know, Thomas Friedman for a long time had this golden arches theory of democracy, right? Yeah. So to explain the whole, like, okay, if we give yeah. these guys more commercial access, 
no two countries that have a McDonald's would go to war with each other. Now, with Ukraine and Russia, <laughs> that's no longer accurate. That's correct. But it just shows you this was the thinking, right? So exactly. Like, so to Skolkovo, hey, we're giving them our technological versions of McDonald's, and we're hoping that that's going to bring them closer as an ally. Right, exactly. And so Hillary Clinton lines up uh, these 28 key partners yep. that include American tech firms, it includes Russian tech firms, uh, and we're going to start sharing technology with them, help them build these companies. And these are big, comp- big U.S. technology companies. Oh, yeah. These are like Cisco systems. These are big companies. Um, and, of course, the Clintons always got to get their cut. So <laughs> of the 28 partners, actually 17 of them were already contributors to the Clinton Foundation. So a nice side benefit for the Clintons. So it's almost like because they were in the Clinton Foundation clique, they got invited to participate in this Russian Yeah, it's like, it's, like a, it's like a country club fee, yeah. initiation fee to get in, in. Now, so Hillary presented this as a great opportunity to build uh, joint ventures together to work cooperatively. The U.S. Department of Defense's European Command uh, had a different view. What, what was their view? Eric? And this is a quote from like what they said at the time. They said, Skolkovo was an ambitious and Enterprise aiming to promote technology transfer generally by inbound direct investment and occasionally, and here's the key part, through selected acquisitions. As such, Skolkovo is arguably an overt alternative to clandestine industrial espionage with the additional distinction that it can achieve such a transfer on a much larger scale and more efficiently. So it's like, hey, remember in the 80s when everybody's into Russian spying? Right. This is like that, except for we're honest about it right. and it's more efficient. Yeah, and, and the Russians don't have to steal it anymore because we're going to give it to them. Right. Right? It's a lot easier, a lot more efficient this to This would them. be a the terrible sequel to the American series. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a terrible, awful. It's just like a bunch of office workers like right. emailing. Yeah, here's our secrets, by the way. Right. And, and and for good measure, by the way, the FBI warned American tech companies that getting entangled with Skokovo risked them losing their intellectual property. The Russians were basically going to steal it. Yeah. So, you know, this is Hillary Clinton in an incredibly naive and stupid move uh, where she's completely underestimating what Putin's Russia is all about. Uh, But of course, they're getting paid. Uh, And remember, at this time, Bill Clinton is getting half million dollar speaking fees from Kremlin linked Russian banks. I mean, I think it's important to put it in the context of it. It's been some time now, but as you noted, uh, Uranium One was trending on Twitter recently after yeah. Putin goes in because I think Hillary Clinton came out and gave, I think, a very stern <laughs> and, and serious sounding comment right. about oh, the this, school marm. This, the school can, marm this cannot out. happen. But so, but this whole Skolkovo thing, the crazy part about it is the Skolkovo thing was not the first kind of pro-Russian sentiment that Clintons had been involved in. I mean, that was sort of the key to the book that you wrote and you know, a bunch of us helped work on, Clinton Cash, is that the Clintons essentially helped facilitate the transfer of U.S. uranium right. to Russia. Right. And the people that made money on that deal donated, I think it was like $140 million to the Clinton Foundation. That's right. That's right. So they got paid. And they, got, they paid. got paid. And at the same time, to your point, Bill Clinton was paid one of his biggest speaking fees to speak to a Russian-backed, I think, security entity, mm-hmm. right, while all this is happening. Right. Exactly. And so the question is, with the Clintons is always, did they actually believe this stuff about Skokovo? Right. Um, and they were naive and they were getting paid, or were they just being cynical? And who knows? Either one is horrible. 
horrible and horrific. And for Hillary Clinton now to come out and say, oh, we've got to be hawkish and tough on Putin, she has never really been tough on Putin uh, other than in her language. Everything else has been soft. And then you look at her close confidant, her campaign manager, her advisor as Secretary of State, a guy named John Podesta. This is wild, too. Yeah, John Podesta. So he's advising Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State. He joins the board of three companies, Jewel Unlimited, Jewel Global, and Jewel Global Scheisting. These are all European-based companies. They have entities in the United States, but they're creating a new type of biofuel. And get this. So John Podesta is on the board. He's on the executive committee. Um, Their biggest investor is Rusnano, which is a Russian government-funded investment firm that puts $35 million into John Podesta's business. Um, This Rusnano, by the way, is regarded by Russian officials as, quote, Putin's baby. This is something that Putin himself controls. This is like GAI's greatest hits because it's taking us back to the 2016. <laughs> you had these Podesta emails come out, you know, all this right. kind of stuff. And, and one of the things we should also point out so Podesta, Hillary's chief of staff, like cooked up with and on the board and making some money in this Skolkovo venture because of some Russian backed investment, right? Right. But he wasn't the only one. One of the things we saw in those Podesta emails, and this is kind of inside the weed stuff, but so the, the whole Uranium One deal, part of the controversy was Hillary was Secretary of State, and because it was a important U.S. asset, something called CFIUS had to approve the transfer of the right. uranium. And so one of right. the points that we made is like, well, Hillary didn't object. Now, yeah. seven other members of the CFIUS committee didn't object either, but Hillary was the only one that was had family members making money or was on the board right. of a thing that was collecting $140 million from people that were investing in this thing. So right. Hillary was more important than... You know, the Department of Agriculture, for example. Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. So, uh, but then she said, well, I wasn't the one that actually approved it. And so the, there's a person that's in these Podesta emails that says he was the one that approved the CFIUS transfer. Uh, he's emailing John Podesta and said, hey, let me please let me know if I can be helpful. But his name is Andre Fernandez. Yep. And what does Andre Fernandez do now? He is the undersecretary of state in the Biden administration. And who did he, did he not also consult for Rosatom? Yes, he was also. Which is a Russian energy entity. Yes, yes, yes. And this is something you find that's very common is a lot of these individuals have these consultancy arrangements. So if you look at, uh, for example, Nord Stream or Gazprom, the big massive energy companies uh, out of Russia, uh, they've got lobbyists. They've got one lobbying firm that they've had until they just had to let them go. BGR is headed by Haley Barber the former chairman of the RNC. Uh, then you Who's look good at, friends with Bill Clinton. Yeah, yeah, good friends with Bill Clinton, uh, very active in Republican circles. Uh, you look at the Democrat side, you got a guy named Vin Roberti, uh, who has his consulting firm, also a big advisor. Roberti is very close to the current president, Joe, Joe Biden. Biden. Was absolutely was on his advisor yeah. committee in 2008. Yeah. And these are all guys that are getting paid by Russians and, and Russian entities linked to Vladimir Putin. You can add to that list Mercury Public affairs that's a lobbying firm that's very close to kamala harris uh, also has a lot of republicans in the line and then look at the big law firms you know the big law firms several of these were involved in trying to prove that donald trump was a russian mole and yet now it turns out they've had to sever their links with russian companies so you're talking about um venable 
big law firm, Surbank, which is a big Russian financial firm linked to the Kremlin. They had to drop them as a client because of U.S. sanctions. Sidley Austin, which is another big D.C. law firm, uh, they were on the payroll with VTB, which is, again, another Kremlin-Putin-linked bank. Um, The list goes on and on and on. And these are the rats that are now scurrying off the ship because Putin is in deep, deep trouble for what he's done. And I think it's and I think that's the key way to put it, right? They're, they're not leaving. They're not ending business partnerships because of any level of moral outrage. Right. Over no principle the, over the thing that Putin's. I mean, maybe they are, maybe they're not, but that's not the stated reason. Right. Right. The stated reason is the punishment because of the egregious nature of what Putin's done because of the sanctions. That's why these people can't do business with these companies anymore. Right. That's exactly right. So one of the things we always try to do at GAI, and we we think you should look at what's happening right now with Russia through the prism, is to follow the money. Mm -hmm. Because we want to think and believe that our leaders are making foreign policy decisions based on our best interests, based on high principle, based on human rights, based on the fact that Vladimir Putin is, is taking artillery and firing artillery at apartment buildings to kill civilians. And I'm sure there are some people that are, but the dark underbelly is oftentimes people are getting paid. People have been consultants for these individuals and they are entangled. Well, and I think it's important to point out because you, you said this to me and I didn't realize it, but you know, you hear this term Russian oligarchs a lot, yeah. right? And so I think a lot of these people, a lot, a lot of people that are having to sever ties are having to sever ties with Russian oligarchs. Right. So for example, uh, you know, we're both soccer fans. So, so Chelsea has been put up for sale. By, by Roman Abramovich because he's a Russian oligarch and and you think that there's decent intelligence decent reporting suggests like I mean how close are these oligarchs to Putin do we think yeah I mean that's a great question so uh, a lot of it has to be sort of informed speculation or opinion that, but, but the, po- the point is it's not like hey you're Russian you're bad correct that's exactly right what what they're what they're trying to do or ostensibly they say they're trying to do is look at those oligarchs that are close to Putin because the idea is Vladimir Putin himself is supposed to be worth at least 20 billion billion dollars yeah but vladimir putin does not go to morgan stanley and say hey i want to open up a checking account yeah a first name what, vladimir what, second name putin what do you have an in index funds right now <laughs> exactly exactly i'm concerned about my retirement yeah no that that doesn't go on he can't put it in his name because it's too politically toxic so the oligarchs are the ones that hold the money for him and as one scholar has pointed out vladimir putin is one of the few people on the planet that can give several billion dollars to a russian oligarch and know that he won't steal it right because putin could kill him i mean he can have him killed so you've got these guys that operate in the west that that move money around and they are widely believed to be moving money around for vladimir putin and holding assets for him in their name uh, overseas that's why they're going after these oligarchs um and the problem is the oligarchs have always been the sort of smiling face or semi-smiling face, uh, of of the Putin regime to the West. Because they would say, oh, no, no, I'm not close to Putin, but, you know, Putin is kind of misunderstood. By the way, it's very similar to what's going on with China. You've got a lot of people that do business with China. No, I'm not apologizing for what Beijing does, even though they kind of are, because they're minimizing the bad behavior. That's what the oligarchs have done in the West, and that's why they're being targeted right now. Yeah, I think there's a couple of key points to pull out, point out, including a, an important parallel that you talk about in Red Handed in which you actually quote a Russian leader in terms of the philosophy because I think it's the same philosophy that Russia's used here. I mean, you said it's uh, 
who's going to give who the rope to hang whom? Yes. It, well, it, it's Vladimir uh, Lenin uh, supposedly said that um, the capitalists are going to sell us the rope by which we're going to hang them. Um, and the idea here is we're going to pay off. We're going to play off the greed of certain people in the West. Not everybody. We're going to play off of it. And they're going to be so greedy. They're going to sell us things that are ultimately going to be a threat to them. That's really what's happened with these Russian uh, oligarchs and these consultants and advisors to them. And the same thing that's going on with companies related to China. Well, that's what you have. Your whole book is about that, right? The people that are, have like sold things to China that might yeah. not actually be good for U.S. national interests. And I think that we talked about the Russian Silicon Valley and Skolkovo, I think that's a classic example, right? Like you got the FBI, you got the, the Department of Defense saying, this is a bad idea. This is just right. like, this is the stuff they were trying to spy to steal earlier right. and we're giving it to them. And so you can't say just like having access to Nord Stream, just like having now controlling uh, energy for Europe didn't enable Putin. I think same thing, having access to US technology has just been a step along the way. And you talk about these oligarchs being the smiley face of Russia and Putin to the West, by right. the way. Two more names we didn't mention that also have Clinton connections. Tenio is this consulting yes. firm yes. that was started by the top advisors to Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Doug Band and Declan Kelly. And so they started this consulting firm while this Clinton Foundation stuff's happening. And it's just sort of wild that, um, you know, and they, you get through these emails and these guys are emailing back and forth and we're setting these things up and Doug Band's emailing Huma Abedin at the Department of State like, is this okay? And I'm like, right. oh, I don't know. It's, right, right. it's a little shady. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> like, okay, we'll punt this one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Looking for a little bit of advice uh, from right. the Clinton State Department, but they're neck deep in this too. Well, absolutely. And I think this is what's important. So while, so Hillary Clinton no longer is perceived to have actual power, right? Right. And so that's one of the reasons why that donations of the Clinton Foundation are now gone. I mean, yeah. it's not a coincidence that donations of the Clinton Foundation is worth their all-time high when Hillary Clinton was running for president and people think, okay, she's about to be really powerful. It's a great way for us to get access and create favor. She loses and now donations have plummeted. They're down 75% to from Imagine their all-time that. peak. Yeah, it's like 16 million they brought in last year and we sort of joked before that that's one of the reasons why the Clintons are out there doing these uh, master classes, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? It's basically the equivalent of having a cup on the corner. But, <laughs> right. but so, so Clinton Foundation, no good anymore. But the people that started the Clinton Foundation, then they started this consulting firm. Tenio. They continue to make money off of all the connections, off of these international people, including uh, this company called Letter One, which is an investment fund backed by Russian oligarchs. And you talk about being the smiling face. They've hired Tenio. They've hired Doug Ban and Declan Kelly's company to essentially run PR for them yes. in U.S. media. Right, trying to trying to put a positive spin on this Russian-backed company that has all these questions being raised. By the way, it was started by the Clinton people, but as always happens in Washington, D.C., they make it bipartisan. So you look at who is involved with Tenio now. Like Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan, former vice presidential candidate, former Republican congressman from uh, Wisconsin, is now an advisor and I think a board member at Tenio. So it is, it is the mutual attraction to money and greed by the permanent political class in Washington that motivates so much what they're doing. Yeah, there's a phrase I've heard, and this isn't the phrase, but I'm going to swap out one word, but it would, I would say, greed remains undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> Sad, but true. Well, we appreciate you joining us for today. We wanted to give you an insight of what's going on, the horrific events going on in Ukraine. Step away from the geopolitics, step away from the noise, and focus on the money and the people that are behind the curtain. The guy, the Wizard of Oz, who is behind the curtain and what is motivating him. And sadly, 
too much of it in Washington, D.C. is all this Russian money that has been sloshing around. And please, if you haven't already, pick up a copy of Red Handed, my book, the number one New York Times bestseller that looks at how American elites are getting rich helping China win. Thanks for joining us. If you're interested in listening to more of our podcasts, you can find them on thedrilldown.com. Until next time, we'll see you.